is an RNZ podcast. I'm Asha Abdi. I'm a broadcasting student in Christchurch and a Muslim woman. Al Noor is my mosque. I grew up there. I knew some of the people killed there, the martyrs. An excerpt there from Widows of Shuhada, which told the stories of four Muslim women widowed by the Christchurch mosque attacks and how they dealt with their grief and the very different lives they found themselves facing afterwards. It's a podcast series available from RNZ and it was broadcast on RNZ National earlier this year. But it was made by Plains FM, one of 12 community access radio stations around the country. Next month, Widows of Shuhara will be up against RNZ's own programmes in the Best Documentary category of the New Zealand Radio Awards. That's quite an achievement for a programme presented by a student broadcaster for a mostly volunteer-run community radio station. But it isn't the first time Plains FM has had national recognition. Widows of Shuhara's lead producer at Plains FM, Lana Hart, won a New Zealand Radio Award in 2015 for a series on Filipinos working and living in Canterbury. And her own radio and podcast series called After March 15 ran for four months following the mosque shootings. Dr Duncan Webb, MP for Christchurch Central, thanks for updating us on the government's response to the tragedy. Central government has moved quickly on gun law changes. What are some of the other areas that there has been government action on? The government's moved quickly in a whole lot of ways. Obviously, there's... Now, these are examples of what the access radio stations can do locally, where they exist. The network was founded 40 years ago as a local radio broadcasting movement to get otherwise unheard and unheard voices out on independently and voluntarily run stations with limited public funding. But today they don't just operate on air locally, they're also online and available anywhere, and so are the programmes as podcasts. And to reflect that, the network is now called the Community Access Media Alliance. Dunedin-based Otago Access Radio, for example, airs shows made by and for local school kids and a daily after-school show called Youth Zone, which gives young broadcasters a chance to learn new skills. In 2019, Otago Access Radio launched an impressive new app with Youth Zone content, and one of the most ambitious stations in the network is Nelson-based Fresh FM, which, uniquely, broadcasts from four locations, Takaga, Motueka and Blenheim, as well as Nelson. And that came in pretty handy when fires ravaged the Nelson Hills in 2019 and even threatened the Fresh FM main studio in Founders Park. Uh, please do bear in mind that we are in areas like sort of Blenheim, Motueka and Golden Bay running on smaller resources because we have sent a lot of our uh, volunteer fire brigade and uh, equipment to Nelson. So please do be mindful. In 2018, the Access Network was reviewed by the Auckland University of Technology's radio expert, Dr Matt Mulgard, and he concluded that Access Radio has found itself in many places the last truly local media left. But all this is done for sums that are insignificant set against the budgets for the likes of RNZ or national TV programmes. Jo Holstead is from the Auckland region's access station Planet FM and she's the current chair of the Community Access Media Alliance, or Karma for short. We are not unique as a not-for-profit in that a lot of your energy when you're not fully funded is spent looking for funding and there is some money but you need to look for the rest of the money. Uh, what we have seen in the last year is COVID has meant that where for a long time I think that we were seen as a kind of a nice-to-have, you know, oh, how nice to have a diverse radio station or set of 
um, platforms that represent local voices and all their diversity. That seems nice. Suddenly people um, at an organis- other organisational levels realise that if you can have some security of funding going forward, it does make you put you in a better, better position to focus on your core business. Well, you mentioned COVID there, Joe, and I mean, we have seen a lot of government intervention putting money into the media sector to, you know, help it survive in some instances, but also into journalism. The government, and also in in the last budget, was quite specific that media interventions should address underserved audiences. Have the stations benefited directly or the alliance as a whole benefited directly from the extra money that's been pumped in by the government to the media sector post-COVID? Prior to to last year's budget, where we were invited to ask for more funding at an individual station level, um, which our various stations did, we hadn't had any funding increase for the best part of 10 years. So that funding boost made a really big difference for us. Do you feel that New Zealand On Air does want to uh, and is committed to supporting you and your current framework into the future? I think they do. I mean, the reason that community access exists Um, And the reason that we get funding from New Zealand On Air is because the Section 36C of the Broadcasting Act explicitly outlines the need for platforms that serve um, a range of underserved communities. Um, So as long as the mainstream media is not serving those communities, there will still be uh, a reason for us to be able to ask um, for that support. It's relatively cheap to run a radio station, what we provide um, within Access Media, we do for the equivalent cost of, you know, a day's production somewhere else. We are running professional organisations that rely on the great work of a whole lot of volunteer program makers. We provide the training, we provide the platform, um, and we provide the facilities. Um, and the cost that we run our stations at per year, if you look at any other radio station, um, you, you couldn't argue that we're good bang for buck. This week, the Community Access Media Alliance launched a new campaign urging people to find your voice by finding your local station. But what of the years ahead for the Alliance? The entire public media sector's future is now up in the air as the government pursues a new public media entity, which means that the Broadcasting Act is likely to be rewritten. And now that people in communities around the country can easily connect via social media, as well as on the radio, do the 12 local radio stations around the country have a long-term future? These are questions I put this week to the National Coordinator for the Alliance, Sasha Borisenko. Oh, absolutely. It's a hot spot for community outreach programs. If you go to an access media station, you get the training, you get the support, and you also get the community. So it's a network. Um, Similarly, I think in the age of digital media and cost-cutting, we've seen a decline in uh, community-based print publications. I mean, I was at Fairfax when all those cuts kind of happened, and I think people are starting to realise that community-based content is kind of needed more now than ever, really. Having the ability, particularly for people um, when it comes down to languages, there really is no other option, is there, for people to broadcast in languages, you know, other than English, with the exception of, you know, perhaps the Iwi Radio Network for Te Reo, um, and, you know, certain things like Radio Tarana in Auckland, maybe. But apart from that, for smaller ethnic and linguistic groups, it's just about the only game in town. Absolutely. And all the stations were running throughout COVID, for example, and it was an opportunity for um, the government to kind of 
team up with uh, the stations to get their messaging across because, you know, it's a conundrum. When when we have situations such as this, how do you know, public service or public entities actually reach these audiences? In theory, you could go down the mainstream media route, but, of course, there's no guarantee because they're generally untapped markets. And, of course, if you're talking to, say, a refugee or a migrant communities, um, they're fairly isolated, right? So, A, Access Media offers this avenue for them to have a voice. It's content for, by, and about them. But also it's serving communities that aren't otherwise served, if that makes sense. Sure, and people listening to this might be thinking, well, that's a nice to have. Um, However, this is actually something that fulfills the Broadcasting Act, right? What's that fulfilling in terms of the legislation? Well, so we're mandated by Section 36C of the Broadcasting Act, which essentially says having to provide broadcasting a certain number of hours for minority groups, so women, children, people with disabilities. I mean, that's an interesting jurisprudential issue in and of itself, saying that women you know, generally are a minority. But it also encompasses different ideas, so um, religious groups, different ways of thinking, and say in the next five years, I think that's probably the direction that Access Media will be going down in terms of lobbying for that to be changed, because like you say, it's something that's really fundamentally important um, for a thriving media in terms of New Zealand, so it does need to be protected, and rather than thinking that it's, say, a nice to have, it needs to be, you know, a fundamental civil liberty. But of course, we're seeing innovative um, avenues where, say, um, the likes of Plains FM are partnering up with RNZ to produce amazing podcasts, but they're not getting funding for that per se, but it's really great for their profile. And effectively, it reaches more audiences, so you've got a more likelihood of programmers to come into that station. Well, the last time on this program that we looked in this in any detail, it was back in 2012. Then it was the Community Access Broadcasting Network. Um, now the Community Access Media Alliance uh, to, I guess, reflect the fact that it's not all just about radio broadcasting now. Uh, there's a digital platform. People can get it from outside the local areas where the 12 stations broadcast. But it strikes me a lot of things are still quite similar. Back then there were 12 stations in there, it was still the same 12 today. New Zealand On Air was distributing some public money and it seems the split back then was roughly 60%, 40%. Uh, so the stations required to fund their news programmings and their information programs uh, by finding money and support um, from listeners or community organisations. Do you feel that down the years New Zealand On Air hasn't really changed the formula at all while, you know, the needs might have been changing and, of course, you know, media and technology have changed all around it in in the past decade? Firstly, you know, last year, as a result of COVID, there was a bump in funding and now it means that the stations are doing pretty well. Could they benefit from more money? Absolutely. For example, you've got all these amazing initiatives. Um, I referred to Plains FM before, but Plains FM are creating this kind of um, online correspondence educational package. So basically, you've got all the stations going to um, individual colleges or high schools or whatnot to essentially train younger people to feel comfortable in, in radio or basically to flourish. But by doing this package, you know, they can also qualify for NZQA credits. Now, the tie-up with RNZ that you mentioned there with Plains FM in particular, there's one podcast series that would have been heard by a lot of people. Is that something that the network wants to pursue or do they really want to be in the game of creating content effectively for other broadcasters? Well, I think primarily it's for, by and about the community. So that is the main focus. But it's a catch-22 insofar as, yes, 
in order to be given the recognition or to secure further funding or whatnot or to make NZ On Air look good, you know, having these collaborations so that there is PR for the radio stations, that's a really good thing. But I think if stations had producers or whatnot, of course they would want to do that. Again, it's kind of a what are we about, why are we doing this, and what's the end game? Well, as you mentioned earlier, community newspapers, which might might be another avenue other than broadcasting for local community groups, those are not what they were. In fact, a lot of them have ceased to exist. In some areas, is Access Radio now finding itself the last truly local media you know, left in their region? If you look at things like, for example, um, the, the Fresh FM stable you know, broadcasting, Nelson, Blenheim, Takaka, I think four locations actually right across the top of the south. As we know, over the last decade or so, a lot of previously local stations have become networked into national brands. So in a lot of places, it is the only local game in town? Absolutely. And for some reason, there's this narrative across the media landscape where it's, you know, go national, cut, um, cut, cost-cutting, let's get rid of the, the local things that are deemed inefficient, but now we're seeing value in um, community-driven, hyper-local content. So absolutely, it serves its purpose, yeah. So instead of it being completely devoted to local community groups doing their own thing for their own audience or for their own members, um, do you think that is something we'll see more of um, as, as uh, this network goes into its, what's hopefully will be its next 40 years, that they actually will be, become you know, quite comprehensive local broadcasters for the entire community? Not just not, not just little groups. Well, I think it, that it's undermining the value of what it is right now. Right, the the aim of the game is not to be um, popular or to have more audience numbers. It's just to be known enough so that we reach these communities so they feel comfortable coming forward. Another thing that differs to say mainstream media is provided that uh, the content meets all the standards within the Broadcasting Act, you've got you don't have the editorial constraints. So you have you've got these programmers coming in who can directly say what they need to say and reach their community and I think that's a real bargaining chip um, for these people and why they feel comfortable coming forward and we're talking it's a sacred relationship and that's kind of at the forefront always. Well, the uh, network was reviewed in 2018 um, by Matt Mulgard from the AUT, Dr Matt Mulgard, who's their specialist in radio at the Auckland University of Technology. One of the things he concluded was that some of the managers of the network spoke of a bit of anxiety um, about the tier system. I mean, for many people it seems logical, doesn't it, if some uh, stations are operating in smaller communities, not creating so many hours of programming, um, Planet FM in Auckland broadcasting to a much wider region. But is that tier system uh, equitable in your mind? Is it something that some stations in there feel is a bit unfair and restricts them, uh, putting them on a lower tier and maybe limits their ambitions of what they can do? But, of course, you know, we've got different regions and different populations that we're dealing with. Um, in terms of from a jurisprudential point of view, I mean, to have a, ver- a tier system in and of itself is somewhat ironic because it's placing some value on on certain areas over others, which is not so much part of the kopapa that is access media. But that really... S- brings me to another issue, which is measurement and metrics. I mean, we're talking qualitative content or qualitative appointment 
direct listening as opposed to quantitative, but how do you show your value as a community group that, say, might be reaching two people, but they happen to be 100% of whatever community in New Zealand's population? How do you translate that and communicate that to potential funders or potential advertisers just to say, you know, this is really important and we're reaching these communities? Um, The other side of that, you know, we're now in a society where we're recognising things like uh, well-being and mental health. So there's the paradigm is shifting. Um, but, yeah, so it's not just about audience numbers, clicks and money. But, again, I, I don't know what that looks like, but there needs to be some movement there. Well, having said that, that obviously it's not all a numbers game. This is about providing a service and um, filling gaps that the rest of the media either don't or can't. But... How do you know who's listening? Because as as we know, for niche audiences, for small things, very difficult for um, the likes of Nielsen's and major audience uh, research survey firms to actually work out who's who's um, getting things that aren't intended for mass, mass audiences. Well, I mean, research shows um, all these data collections, and I don't mean to be defamatory, but they are f- somewhat flawed. Uh, so, you know, A, I'm sceptical about that. But um, for, in terms of the radio, um, you, we're not measuring that because, of course, these huge surveys cost a lot of money. And, you know, in terms of um, we can also measure audience numbers from our podcasting platform, accessmedia.nz, and that's been quite successful. And the numbers and so forth actually bode really well for us. You know, NZ On Air have been very very kind in terms of putting a lot of money into that. So, and they're seeing the benefits. And that's not funding that took away from what the broadcasters themselves putting on the air in those 12 markets around the country? Uh, no, in addition to, and you've got some, you know, for example, there might be content produced um, on, um, on air and that will be repackaged um, and so forth and that put onto the podcasting platform. Uh, because it's appointment listing, that there's a saying, you know, if you listen to Access Media 24-7, we advise you get medical attention. and but, but that is just a reflection of the variety that's on there. But, you know, from listening to a bunch of kids, you know, playing karaoke, it's there not to benefit an audience per se, but it's to service that community. So yeah, hmm. that's, that's one area I would pick out, actually, is uh, young adults, Youths. let's call it that, because... There's funding for, you know, things for little kids, you know, children's programming, we could say that, and then, you know, stuff to attract young, the younger demographic that, say, television with its big budgets is after um, 25 to 54 and so on. Between, say, high school age or maybe up to 20, 25, n- not a whole lot of publicly funded content. Things like Otago Access Radio, OAR, you know, they launched their own app with their youth content a couple of years ago. That is a voice you don't hear almost anywhere else on the year. Um, Access, um, Access Radio Taranaki, they're doing segments where they're documenting the race unity speeches. So they're going to all the local uh, competitions or whatnot. And hilariously, I actually did that when I was in high school. You know, I got through to the finals and I, I actually, finally my speech was aired on Radio New Zealand and that was a huge deal in my little life back in the day. And it gave me a sense of worth and a sense of purpose and sense of meaning. And so you've got there. Had that been around when I was a child, I probably would have found this love of uh, journalism and radio and broadcasting much, much earlier. And it's all almost prepackaged. You've got these kids walking up, doing a five-minute speech. It's easy. Just to close, uh, the forty 40- 
years of the network has been marked with Sharing the Mic, the book by uh, Dr Brian Pauling. But in 10 years' time, do you think there still will be around about the same dozen or so networks still broadcasting on um, the airwaves, AM and FM, um, in their local territories, as well as you know the digital platform? Well, I think it's a very resilient sector. Uh, obviously, we don't have a presence in the Bay of Plenty, nor do we have one in Northland. I think that's something really to that needs to be explored, either by NZ On Air or um, Chris Farfoy. Um, who would do it? Uh, whether there's a need there, I don't know. Um, but absolutely, you know, there's always going to... We've got a... Um, increasing population of baby boomers who love radio, so nonetheless they'll be wanting to sit around their radio and listen to something that uh, reflects their ideas and I don't know. You know, you think that might be a healthy crop of volunteers or people even with the engineering skills as well to run stations and that, that could happen? I oh, mean. absolutely. I mean, it's happening now in terms of kapiti. Um I was just there yesterday and, what, uh, 20% of that region are over the age of 65 and, and that station really reflects that population. So, absolutely, yeah. So is, it, is it actually a goal of the CAMA to expand? They think it's something that NZ On Air ought to explore. Because if we're really servicing our communities, there's a void there. That was the National Coordinator for the Community Access Media Alliance, Sasha Borisenko.